And would you please join me in a quick moment of prayer? O oh, gracious Lord, glorify your name in all of the earth. Glorify your name in this, this building, in this church, and in our hearts. May we know the precious name not only of Jesus Christ, of the Holy Spirit, but of God the Father as well, the triune Holy Trinity God. May we never forget that. May we hold on to that with everything in our being. As we open up your word this morning, Lord, draw us nearer to you that we may uh, just grow deeper in faith. And for those of us in this room who may not know you at all, may the words that, that come from me and come from Scripture be not of me but of you and have the very power to illumine their hearts to the grace and the love found in Jesus Christ. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. So we are in uh, this, uh, this uh, series uh, called Communicating with God, and we're looking at the Lord's Prayer. How many people in here, just real quick, you don't have to raise your hand if you don't want to, have the Lord's Prayer memorized? You got it memorized, you got it. What age? What age? Just shout out an age. What age do you, would you say comfortably that you had that memorized? Five, seven, right, right, right. I, I think I was a kid as well. I'm 39, just turned 39, happy birthday to me. Uh, so just turned 39, right? And I would say for 25, 30 years maybe, knew for sure of the Lord's Prayer and probably had it memorized. And so when Jerry said we're going to do a sermon series on prayer, we're going to do the Lord's Prayer, I thought, great, slam dunk. Don't have to talk about predestination. Don't have to talk about anything else like this. This is great. And so I got my first one, and then he says, you're going to do Hallowed Be Your Name. Fantastic. Got it. Whenever you get prideful like that, the Lord will humble you quickly. <laughs> so just so you know, uh, for the past 25, 30 years, I, I don't know if I understood correctly Hallowed Be Your Name. If you were like me, you lumped this all together in one nice, artful conglomeration of words. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, stop, right? And if actually, if you, I don't have it on the side, but I may have it on the side, I'm not sure. But if you look at it, it's actually written that way in our scriptures. In Matthew 6, verse 9, it says, pray like this, our Father in heaven, comma, hallowed be your name, period. And so I just put that all together as this wonderful, artful way of saying, hey, God, up there in heaven, you are awesome, right? And then you keep on keeping on with the rest of the prayer, where there's the thy will be done, and that all sounds like the requests. But here is the thing that I discovered through study, through different commentaries, and listening to people who are smarter than I preach on it. Hallowed be thy name, or hallowed be your name, in the Greek is not written in the uh, indicative mood. It's not written as a statement of like, oh God, you are holy. How it is written is that it is one of the first of the six prayer requests that we see in the Lord's Prayer. It is a request. It is written in the Greek in something that's called the passive imperative. It's a soft command with all the reverence, with all the respect, and honor that we would give to the Lord, it can be better translated as this. Oh God, let your name be holy. Oh God, let your name be holy. Or better yet, God, 
cause your name to be known. God, be God. Be you. It is a request. And if we're looking at this as how the Lord's Prayer teaches us how to communicate with God, it begs the question, why would Jesus teach us that the very first thing out of the gate that you should ask for, that you should talk to God about, is the request, is the soft command that he be God, that his name be hallowed, that his name be sanctified, revered, treasured, and adored. Why out of the gate would that be the very first thing that Jesus wants us to pray for? And I thought about it. I'm like, well, Jesus is pretty smart, and I wish I was that smart because it sounds like a good idea. Sure, that's a great idea. Before we talk, before we get into asking God anything, let us ask him to be God. But why? What does that mean? Why, why is that important, and why, why, why would we want to talk about that today? And so when I went into this, thinking that this was going to be slam dunk message, be done. We're out of here in 25 minutes. As I wrestled with that question, of course, I came up with several answers that all could be their own sermons in and of themselves. So if you don't have any lunch plans, we can be here till about 1230. If you're, no, I'm just kidding. I, I whittled it down to the one that I think is most, probably most important. But they're, they're all very important, the answers. Why does Jesus teach us this? Why first to pray to God Oh God, make yourself known to be you. Make your name holy. And I think it's to remind and convict us this, that God's holiness, and what it means to be holy, just as a real quick review, means to be holy other, separate, consecrated off, clean, pure, for a purpose. God's holiness, his otherness, his separateness, his divine awesomeness directly affects and impacts our holiness. It directly impacts, in other words, that your first prayer request must be that God be holy so that everything else in this life and in redemption and in salvation, it all makes sense. That has to be in place. God's holiness has to be firmly in place and be true for everything else in the Lord's Prayer to make sense and for every request that we ever give to him to actually mean anything. It is in our best salvific, our best salvation interest that God be holy because he is holy and pure and through his son who is holy and pure, we are made holy and pure. Why? We know the issue. This is all confirmation review. What is the issue of the world that we find ourselves in? It is a right mess, right? So you can all have to raise your hand. If you're a mess, just like me, you understand. We're a mess. What made it a mess? Sin has made it a mess. In the beginning of the world, you know, you go back to Genesis, there's Adam and Eve. They fall, they make a mistake, they sin against God. And they bring this ugliness, this, this uncleanliness into this world that we're all now doomed and stained by. And so in the Old Testament, there's this theological framework about sin and uncleanliness. They put together rituals. They put together these sacrifices so that they can rid themselves of the dirtiness of sin. So what? So that they could be with the Lord. 
But the problem with that is they have to do this constantly. They have to do this yearly. There's something in Leviticus, I think it is the, um, the, the, the sacrifice of atonement, where they actually take a ram, a sheep, and they send it off into the wilderness to take away the sins of the world. But that's not a once and for all thing. Every year that comes around, they got to do it again. So they just have a forest full of rams just wandering around, right? And it's because they want to be clean. They want the stain of sin to be gone so that they can be with the holy God. I like, it's kind of like this. I have three children. You all know this. And the middle one, Caleb, he's at home. They may be watching if you want to wave to the camera. There you are. So, thank you, D. Look at that. D waved. There you are. So, but Caleb, he's two years old, loves, he loves messy foods. And we're trying to get him to work on using utensils, right? You know, spoons, forks, that kind of thing. But he's like a caveman. He's thinking, no, I don't need that. I can use my hands and shovel the food in. A third of it gets in. The rest of it gets on the floor. And his hands get messy. So think about this at lunch and make him a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And just think of the nightmare that that is, right? And so he enjoys that, but then he gets peanut butter all over his hands. Sometimes for breakfast, we give him peanut butter toast. Same things. Peanut butter all over his hands. Now, it's been very important for us, for Carrie and I, that because, you know, church sometimes we have night meetings and things like that, we really try to preserve breakfast as the meal to get us all together at the table because sometimes dinner just doesn't always happen that way. So we try to do that. So we're all gathered around the breakfast table. It happens every morning, whether it be eggs or peanut butter, but I'm using peanut butter because that's going to come back around in the end of the message. But he's got peanut butter on his hands, and what he wants to do when you say goodbye to him, like, I'm going off to work, blah, 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 he wants to touch you with these peanut butter hands. And the problem is, is that if he touches me with those peanut butter hands, it's going to get my shirt dirty. Even if it's just a spot, that means that I have to go back upstairs, change my shirt, and put on a clean shirt because that spot of peanut butter or bacon grease or whatever it is now renders my shirt unclean and not fit for professional use. Now, there are some times that I miss this and I come in and I meet with Jerry and he looks me up and down. I'm like, yep, that's bacon grease right there. So we'll just gonna shine a light right there. I don't know if that is but I got to change my shirt because it's not acceptable for professional wear. It's, it's, it's dirty, just that one spot. And the same goes for sin. That our sin stain on our hearts renders us unacceptable for occupation and residence in Eden, for occupation and residence with the holy, clean, and pure God. So God, let your name be holy, why is this first? There's a quote from a famous pastor named R.C. Sproul who says this about the holiness of God. What makes something sacred, what makes something holy is the touch of God upon it. When the one who is himself other and different, that's saying when Jesus, when, the, when God, excuse me, when God is, is holy, other and different, touches that which is ordinary, it becomes extraordinary. When he touches you, you become uncommon. The difference between the profane and the holy is the difference between the common and the uncommon, between the earthly 
and the heavenly. Our primary desire in all prayer and communication must be the holiness of God, to desire to be holy and clean as he is holy and clean so that we can be with him once again, once and for all, not a yearly cleanse, but a once and for all thing, and counted in the same company with him and his son again. All other prayer requests must pale in drastic comparison to this first request. Oh God, let your name be holy so that we can be made clean and come back to you. That has to be first before we utter any other request to God. That must be your heart's desire to long to be with him no matter what. Because we know the truth of this world, that the truth of this world is it's going to be crazy. If you have not had a hardship yet, just wait. It is going to happen in some form. But our heart's desire should be, whatever, it, come what may, whatever dirtiness, whatever stain gets upon me, Lord, be holy. Hallow your name so that all of us would know the true God who cleanses all of our sins. Hallowed be thy name. To further my point, we can look at John chapter 17. And in John chapter 17, we had a whole series on this during Easter. It is the priestly prayer from, from Jesus. Jesus actually prays this order into, into existence of what it means for God to be holy, for Jesus to be holy, and for us to be holy. If you go through the whole points of the prayer of John 17, he says this, he says, glorify me, praise to God, says glorify me that I may glorify you, that I may make you known. I have manifested your name through, for these disciples, and all of mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. I have kept them in your name, Jesus prays, talking about those who believe in him as disciples. And then he says this, I consecrate, I make myself holy for their sake. And if we were to look at all that together, what Jesus has prayed for is this, that God's glory and the holiness of his name is first, and that he, the Son, would also receive that same glory to point that back to him, and that because all of this is so, he has made that so in his disciples. And they receive that same holiness, that same purification, that same oneness with the Lord. So God being holy is of the utmost importance to us in our redemption and our reunification back with God. It is insanely important. He says here at the end of the prayer, I do not ask for these only, these disciples, but for all of us who believe in their word, that they all may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So it's not only just our holiness, our reunification with the holy, pure God, but it has ramifications for everyone else who hears and sees our testimony so that others may also experience that same salvation, that same reunification with the Lord. The glory that you have given me, Jesus prays, I've given to them that they may be one even as we are one. 
I in them, you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. He says, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, does not know your name, I know you and these know that you have sent me. I have made known to them your name, your holy name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Oh God, let your name be holy. Let your name be holy so that everything that you have ever said is true. Let your name be holy so that we understand the love and the measure of the love and the grace that you've given to us through Jesus. Let your name be true and holy in this world so that people would see us and that they would know who you are. Do all of that first, O Lord, before anything else. Holiness and redemption of the world then is not primarily just for us. It is primarily that God's name would be known. In the Old Testament, in the prophecy of Ezekiel, the prophecy of Ezekiel, if you remember the Old Testament prophecies, the, the Israelites, they, they're, they're usually in bad shape, and they're usually exiled out, and, and they're scattered, and it's all just really, really bad. And the prophecies get raised up to try to call out to them to stop doing that or to say to them, don't worry, God is going to, to bring you back together again. He's preserved a remnant. He's going to bring him back. So Ezekiel is no, no different. And in Ezekiel chapter 36, he is explaining to the Israelites of how this is all going to come about. How is this redemption going to come about? And notice here, if you were to open up to Ezekiel, notice what he focuses in on. He focuses in on the name of God. He says this, verse 22. Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate, that word means sanctify or to make holy, the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned amongst the nations and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate, make holy my holiness before their eyes. He says to them, what I'm about to do in making this all right, because the whole world is now blaspheming my name because of you crazy people, because of what you have done of how you profaned my name and have been scattered. Now, here's the thing about God that we all should understand about God. God is sovereign. So he doesn't necessarily have to go through these hoops and ladders. If he wanted to, I'm sure on his desk, up there in heaven, there's a big red button that says reset. And he could just slap that and just start it all over again. But he doesn't do that, does he? Because our unholiness does not bring God down. 
God remains holy and pure in the heavens. That's where he's at. That's who he is. But what he's going to do for his name's sake in this world so that people would know who he is, the true person he is, through his people, he will vindicate his name. He will make his name holy through them. And it goes on and explains how he does that in terms of he will gather them back together, he will give them their land, he will make them prosperous. It's all the very, it's, you go through any Old Testament text, you'll see that repetition. I'll bring you back to the land, I will bring you these things, I will do all this stuff, and then the world will know I am God. He brings honor and glory, the hallowing of his name by intervening and working through us. And what we read in John 17, that's exactly what Jesus prayed for his disciples. I have done all these things so that through them, the world will know who you are. Oh God, be you. Be holy so that everyone knows the truth of who you are, of the son in whom you sent, of the love of which that you have for all of us that you would do these things instead of hitting the hard reset. Psalm 8 is what we said at the beginning of this service. Who is man that you are mindful of him? Who are we that you are mindful of him? It is the holy triune God who doesn't love us from a distance. Bette Midler got it wrong but who loves us and draws near and comes and dwells in and among us. He comes to a land full of people with peanut butter stains on their fingers. And we all want to touch them. And instead of him getting dirty, he cleans us, just as R.C. Sproul said. If you were to go beyond now Matthew 6, where the Lord's Prayer is at, and then finish the Beatitudes, which is at the end of 7. And then you open up and go Matthew 8 and Matthew 9. Jesus does this very thing. Watch and see what Jesus does in Matthew 8 and 9. He touches the leper. He interacts with the Gentile centurion and even offers that Gentile centurion a place in the kingdom. Very, very dirty things. He touches Peter's sick mother and heals her. He heals the sick. He casts out demons. He heals the paralytic. He calls on a tax collector. The bleeding woman touches his garment. He heals her. And then without changing his clothes, goes to a dead girl's home, takes her by the hand, and makes her come back alive again. Oh my gosh, how dirty is he becoming? And then he touches the eyes of the blind so that they can see. And all the Pharisees that are around him are like, ew, 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 yuck, 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 you dirty, unclean person. And they miss the fact that none of that peanut butter got on him. That the one who is holy and pure touched first and then provided the healing and the cleansing for all of these sick and diseased people. And so when we open up the Lord's Prayer, when we communicate with God, do you have the posture of your heart that when you pray to God, the very first thing you say is, God, Heavenly Father, Daddy, whatever it is that you call upon Him, the formality, the informality, I don't know if it very much matters as long as your heart posture is there. 
Of course, you don't want to be like, hey, dude. I mean, probably not. But, you know, those are those things, right? When you pray to God, it's the first thing out of your mouth, out of your heart, God, before you do anything, be you. No matter what it is that I ask for, you be you. If you're like me, I don't have that posture. I almost always rush into prayer with my laundry list of things that need to get done. God, here's the to-do list. Here's your honey-do list. <laughs> you know, I need you to do this. And, and, and amen, and stamp, seal it, and send it up, and go about my way. But by Jesus teaching us that this is the first request, it changes our posture from people who just conjure up a Hail Mary prayer to the Lord to have him do what we want to a posture of receiving what God will do. And that leads us into next week. I will be done. I will close with this. There is a famous catechism, much like, you know, like the Apostles' Prayer and things like that. The church have, have put together, over the ages, have put together catechisms and statements of faith and confessions and things like that to help us make sense of things that are in, in, that are in Scripture. And this is from the Heidelberg Catechism from the very question of what does it mean to hallow your name? And it says this, grant us first rightly to know you. Before anything, grant us first, O God, to rightly know you. And to hallow and magnify and praise you in all your works in which your power and goodness and justice and mercy and truth shine forth. And further, that we so order our whole life, that we order our whole life, our thoughts, our words, and our deeds, that your name may not be blasphemed, but honored and praised on our account. Ezekiel's prophecy says that the way God will vindicate is that I will give you a new heart, a new spirit I will put within you and remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a new heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. He sends his perfect son Jesus into the land of peanut butter stains. But instead of getting stained, he washes them clean and vindicates and hallows his holy name. Not because we're the great somebodies or that we deserved it, so that his name is known and that we know his love and that we know that he is the true, triune, holy, hallowed I am. Oh God, be you. Let's pray. Gracious Lord Jesus, I just thank you for, I thank you for the, the, the thought, the, the concept that you authored in holiness. That whenever we think we get too big for our britches, whenever we think that we're the, that we're the, the great somebody, whenever we think that we can go about this world on our own and that we can manifest things by our own hands and, and, and be in charge of our own destiny, you bring us to our knees and remind us of who is true and holy. And that in that Reminder, we understand that we are not, and we need that cleanliness. We need that holiness to be reunited 
back to you. So, Lord, thank you that you are mindful of us, that a hard reset wasn't hit, but that you went through great lengths to glorify the Father, to glorify yourself, and then bring glory to us, O Lord. May our prayer posture always be in that, that, that posture of receiving, that you be you first, and that everything else would fall into place. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.